This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. The Jason Kavnis Experience is brought to you by Kavnis HR. Kavnis HR, focus on your business. We got your HR. Our guest today is a good friend of mine, Jared Wharton. Jared, are you ready to be great today? Yes, I am. Jared is a former Army veteran and a current owner and operator and founder of the Fire Brewery in DuPont, Washington. Jared, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. How you, how you holding up? Oh, man. Uh, bruised and battered, but not broken. We're, you know, learning a lot one day at a time and learning a lot about ourselves. Um, and, you know, just learning how to survive something that we never could have predicted. But, uh, yeah, like I think someone said a while ago, you know, you know, back in 2015, people were like, you know, on job news, what are you going to be doing in five years? No one got that answer right. Did they? <laughs> <laughs> no one got that answer right. Yeah, not even close. Like you're doing business plan. No one plans for like a worldwide pandemic, right? Right. Like, that's never in your plan. Right. Right. So you're, you'll find a saying about the fire brewery, um, and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, a safe place for people don't need to be safe. Uh, what we say is uh, a safe space for people that don't need safe spaces. Um, and, and some, I, I, it actually was a customer that said that to me and, and I just was blown away by it. Um, because yeah, we are, we are these, these um, rough, tough veterans of, of all different, you know, backgrounds and, and experiences. Um, and there's very few places where we can go that we just feel like ourselves that we can uh, most, most times when, when, when we um, you know, talk about some of our experiences uh, we're met with blank looks and, and at FOB when people are talking about whatever it was they did, wherever it was, they, they did it um, whether it was combat or just actual, just regular service time. There's no other place like FOB that, that is a safe space for people to just, talk about what their experiences were or make jokes or, or just simply feel the camaraderie of, of the th- type of things we did. Now, FOB is actually an army term, right? Can you yeah. tell people what FOB is for those who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. FOB, forward operating base. So when you go to, um, uh, when you deploy to war in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, we set up a FOB, a forward operating base. It's where we live, work, eat, you know, refuel, um, kind of where we, base all of our operations from to conduct whatever it is, whether it be um, rebuilding communities or conducting uh, combat operations, they all start from a FOB. So this would be like a, a general, like a general question, but from your point of view, what do most like we'll call like regular civilians get wrong about military veterans? What misconceptions are there out there? Uh, one of the biggest is that everybody thinks that, uh, you know, the army's out there, um, you know, boots on the ground, you know, have, you know, firefights every day when, um, when the, the reality is, you know, very small percentage of us really, you know, did that type of, you know, war that you see on TV. Most of it is, you know, logistics and paperwork and, and making sure people are food fed and, and, uh, safe and healthy. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a big machine that, that 
out there that we're all, it takes all of us to support each other. So um, I think that's probably the biggest one that people just assume everybody's out there being a trigger puller, you know, doing combat operations. And it's just not true. Even though we're not the so-called trigger pullers, even them, I think every summer, like for every minute of, you know, quote unquote action, they spend like 10, 20 hours. It's like being bored or getting oh, yeah. ready. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, 99% boredom, 1% absolute terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so you, you've been accepted and participated in some great programs along your entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. One of them being Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big blessing. Um, I was actually in Afghanistan in, I think it was 2013 when I applied for, uh, um, the veterans entrepreneurship boot camp, uh, through Syracuse University and the, uh, Institute for Veterans and Military Families. Um, and so 2014, I went to Cornell. So it was kind of a, a behind the scenes, about a month of, of intensive, you know, uh, uh, working on your business plan and, and things like that, that they had us get ready. And then when we got there, it was just two weeks of entrepreneurship by Firehose. And it was an awesome experience. I, I had never felt so uh, out of my element than, than probably when I first joined the army, where it was just words that had to do with business and that I'd never heard before or used before. And, and, and this is coming from a guy who, when I decided to make Bob, I, uh, you know, I had to Google what a business plan was because I, I didn't know, I didn't have any of that background. So I just figured, you know, well, I better start it. You know, what's a business plan? What's that look like? What, you know, what, what should mine look like? And then getting to Cornell where I saw what I thought was a business plan was really just an idea hastily scrapped, you know, or scratched on the paper and then they helped me refine it and, um, you know, really kind of open up my mind to how people in business really do think. And therefore I took those as clues of this is probably how I should think. And so you're like, man, this is too much for me. I'm overwhelmed. Let me get out of here. Or like you just buckle down and say, I, I made a commitment to doing this. Let me knock this out. The second is always kind of my attitude of something of like, I might be out of my element, but I'm going to be able to at least try to fight above my weight class one way or another. So, um, yeah. And, you know, I just knew it was an opportunity to, that, that not too many people get. So if I have a chance to learn from somebody who's, who's done it before, who's really been entrusted by, by an Ivy League school, I'm going to take every ounce of that instruction and try to soak it up. So, so this is my personal opinion. I'm probably taking some flack for this, but, I think there's a lot of military veterans out there who um, not exactly expect a handout, but expect it to be easier for them. Like I serve the military. I should get this. I should get that. Where's my stuff at? Sure. And that's not the case, right? There's opportunities out there, but you got to find them and look for them and, you know, make it an effort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I saw that a lot through, uh, you know, tying that into what, what you had asked about the, the program at Cornell. Uh, I saw that a lot. You know, so you saw people there who clearly, um, probably weren't going to ever start a business, but they were taking the, the ride of, of, a, of and taking the space from someone else who could have used, right, used of, it. of a cool experience. And then, you know, that, but then, you know, I think most of the people that went through the program were, were genuine and had, had little dreams of, of starting and running a business someday. But however, you have some who are just kind of taking the, the tour of, of, you know, cool opportunities out there for veterans. And 
Yeah, unfortunately, you, you nailed it. There, you know, unfortunately, they, they, those people probably did ultimately take a seat away from somebody who you know could have used it more. But also, I try to give everybody grace and and understanding that you know maybe they just where where I saw the difficulties or and saw them as a challenge that I needed to rise to. Some people just realized that maybe it was too much for them. So. Or maybe they got there and, that, and you know, after the first second, like, man, this ain't for me. And like, well, I'm here anyway. Let me enjoy right. this vacation. Right? right. Sure. Sure. So what other type of programs are you taking uh, advantage of? Um, well, um, I have come to um, a couple uh, talks here at uh, Bunker Labs. Um, I've uh, taken part of the Veterans Business Development Center uh, down in... They're out of Seattle, but they, they come down to Tacoma once in a while. So it's pretty cool. Um, what else? Um, I got to go to uh, Veterans Edge down in Austin. I learned some from, from some great, great people. And, um, you know, it was just kind of a, again, an intensive workshop of looking at, at where our struggles were in business and, and, and kind of uh, being in a roundtable environment with other veterans and figuring out, you know, what my blind spots were. Because again, when you're in the middle of it, you know, to, again, to tie it back into military stuff, when you're in the middle of the fight, you can't always see what's coming. Yeah, the old, all the, what's the old, old thing? Don't see the forest or the trees concept. Absolutely. And then, so being able to surround yourself with people who maybe are in a totally different industry, but it's still business and they are hearing your struggles and say, Hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? And, you know, you have to, it's really a gut check of having to say, even if, because a lot of times somebody's giving you advice and you're like, well, first of all, I didn't ask for the advice, but, uh, but second of all, maybe I should at least absorb it, maybe at least process it and give it the respect that this person felt the need to share it with me um, and process that instead of just immediately just throwing it away. Because a lot of times things don't look like a fit until you've had time to you know, chew on them for a while. Yeah, that's that's great advice on advice, right? Because a lot of people won't give you advice, but you got to understand it's from their lens, right? Like, even if another brewer may give you advice, maybe has a different brand or different location, you know? Yeah. So I never think you got to take with a ground of salt. But I think most people give advice out of a goodness of the heart. Sure, sure. I, I think it, I, I, I tend to, you know, look at the world that way, that I think pretty much everybody is, is coming at you with the best intentions. Um, you know, you got to be careful of who you're, listening to and, and what you're feeding yourself. But for the most part, I think people are coming from a, a, a genuine you know, love of each other. So can you talk about this? So how do you go about picking what opportunities to choose from? Like, cause I'm a big believer, like Wayne Gracie says, you miss hundred percent of the facts you don't take. So I believe in applying sure. for stuff, putting stuff, even like stuff, like I have no chance. And we're like, when funny with me, in my point, everything I applied for, I thought I had no chance. I got accepted to sure. everything else. I mean, this is a shoe in no way. And I don't get accepted. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the Gretzky quote. Um, he, you didn't see him take too many shots from one end of the ice to the other though. You know, so that's kind of the, the, the math I'm trying to do on a daily basis of is, is this a, you know, a wild Hail Mary or is this a calculated, uh, risk that I can, uh, mitigate those risks in some way, whether it be through costs or if the answer is that I just have to solve them with my own labor. Um, so, you know, looking at those risks and understanding what they are before you take them is, is kind of the, the first real 
hurdle that you have to like, get over and then figure out, does this line up with, with who I am, what my values are, uh, what, I, what I see this business being long-term? And if it doesn't answer, say yes to all those things, then it's a pass and I'll let somebody else do it. Yeah. Can you apply to one of these programs? You know, it's taking time away from you to run your business because there's yeah. some, you got to do some kind of pitch deck, some kind of business plan. Right. There's some requirements that you have to do that takes time where you're really doing, right? So is that, is a reward worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Jared, you received or accepted, I think, some kind of brewery program? Yeah. So this is exciting. Um, um, and, and one of the, probably one of the, um, hidden benefits of, of this shutdown and everything, we've been able to, Kind of look at you know what days are actually crucial for me to be at the brewery and which days are not, and um, and so we saw some openings in the schedule, and and I still haven't used all my GI bill, so I applied to and I'm going to the craft dealing and craft brewing and distilling program uh, down at the South Puget Sound Community College. So they they built an awesome facility, but you know it's it's their brewing facility is going to put mine to shame. Um, but it, so it's really awesome. We get to learn from some great people who've been in the industry for a while. Um, and then, uh, and I also like to do that sort of thing where, where I'm at a point where I, where a lot of people wouldn't think they needed to continue their education, but, um, I brought in an intern from their program last year to do his internship with me. And at the beginning, it was me sharing information with him. By the end of it, he was bringing up issues that that were over my head, and where I, where I was familiar with them, I didn't have as firm a grasp on those those uh, topics and the science behind them that I would like to have. So I thought, you know what? Why not focus on making myself better and hopefully making the business better? So you hear the term master brewer sometimes. What is sure. a master brewer? How do you become one? <sighs> There's a lot of debate about, about that um, because you have some people who are fresh out of, say, one of the uh, you know, elite brewing schools in Germany or, or UC Davis, and then they're let loose on a big fancy brewing system and they're calling themselves a master brewer. But um, it, to me, it kind of goes back to like the term pit master or, you know, in Texas terms, you know, where you're ta- you, you have to be able to take raw ingredients. Um, of varying quality and turn out a world-class product with those and do it consistently. And uh, your customer shouldn't know, uh, should have no idea that, that perhaps maybe this year's batch of hops or, or barley was not as uh, high quality as say the previous batch due to, to variations in weather or crop yield. Um, and so uh, a, a true master brewer is a, but like, like I, I try to avoid the term. Like my wife has said it a few times. Like, oh, he's the brewmaster. I'm like, well, I'm just the guy that makes beer. But, um, but yeah, master brewer is somebody who really can is an, a, a true craftsman, uh, you know, with their with their field and is able to to consistently do that. So, how does one become a brewer? So to speak. I mean, I'm sure you just can't wake up one day and put some hops and grains and mix it around, right? Like, what's the yeah, process? Um, I mean, so my story with that is uh, back in 2002, I saw a, a TV show with uh, Alton Brown, uh, the cooking show, and he made a he made a batch of beer. And I thought, well, shoot, me and my buddies are sitting around drinking beer on the weekends. Why not try making it? 
And the first batch was absolutely horrible. We totally botched it. You know, apologies to Alton Brown. Um, but um, then after that, we made a, a couple of little kits and I thought, this is fun. I like this. I can do this. And so I started reading and just um, from 2002, from that point on, I was just kind of constantly refining my product, my process and, and uh, ingredients that I was able to, and playing with them and, and playing with recipes and finding out what I like to brew. And, and so eventually I got to the point of opening fob. I had to make a decision. Did I go with a big system that I've never played with before or get something that kind of looks like a really, really big version of my homebrew system. And so that's eventually what I did. So I try to lower that learning curve a little bit, but really just, you know, today's a learner's world. I mean, we've got every opportunity at your fingertips, whether it be YouTube or just, you know, uh, someone's blogs. Um, The best people in the world are sharing their knowledge knowledge right now about these things and and it's there for you to learn. And, And I'm constantly reading books that are a little bit over my head, but trying to get everything I can out of it. So I think really, if somebody's bound and determined to do it, they can do it. I mean, I did. So not counting your own beer, what's the best beer you ever had? Um, so that's, that's two parts. I have a, a two part answer to that I consider very few beers in the world to be absolutely perfect. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, uh, there's a little Germany, a uh, little brewery in Germany called, um, Monk that does Monksenbacher lager beer. For me, that is probably my desert island beer. And then next to that, I'd be Pliny the Elder, uh, double IPA out of California from Russian River Brewing Company. I just, I've never found a flaw. Um, never found a more balanced or flavorful at the same time. So for me, those are kind of my, what's on my horizon of someday I want to be as good as either of those. So that first beer, was it made in a monastery? Uh, no, um, no, it's just a small family owned but, uh, brewery, but, um, um, again, just a very simple, very pure and, and perfectly crafted beer. The reason I ask is my perfect beer is a beer from Germany. And we went to a monastery for one of those like weekend trips. Sure. And the mucks have been making beer. There's oh, a yeah. 1500, right? Yeah. And the name you just said sounds so familiar. This monastery, right? It's yeah. like, it's like this to me. That's perfect beer. These monas- these, these German German mucks made it, right? Like yeah. 1500, right? Same formula. These you no know, big mugs like this, right? You know, yeah. You, you think you need more than one? Does one is all you need? You know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, mean, I, I learned a lot. It took me when I first got to Germany. I, I kind of had the wrong attitude where I was kind of wondering where all my big IPAs and stouts and stuff were. And I was bored with these boring German lagers. And I think about a year in, I started realizing that, wait a minute, these are fantastic. And it just really took, I had to kind of beat the uh, American beer nerd out of myself until I learned to really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. I'll stay in Germany twice. I always kill me. People like to stay in the barracks room, stay on base and drink Budweiser and, you know, curves. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Right. Like just out, <laughs> just out the gate. Is yeah. the best beer you've ever experienced in your life, right? Yeah. yeah. I just, I never got that, but hey, you know, teach its own. So, why become an entrepreneur? I just, ha- I have visions and goals for myself, for my family that um, I didn't see any other way there. 
uh, unless I made made these opportunities happen for myself. Um, I'm not. I'm I'm probably a a pretty bad employee. Um, I don't think any boss I've ever had. Like they, they always liked me a lot. I always got good re- uh, performance evaluations and stuff. But I'm probably a big pain in their butt if they were honest. And um, uh, you know, I'm I'm all I'm just the type of person that's always going to find my own way to do things because I think I, I I'm better at it than, the, than what they they're telling me that. Yeah, I think I, most entrepreneurs have that no quote unquote problem or challenge. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I was self aware enough to know that. I'm probably a pretty horrible employee, which means I should probably just you know be my own boss. But um, but yeah, I just had a vision for FOB and and um, I couldn't let it go. So so from the from the day you um, got the idea, how long was the process from, from getting the idea to open up your doors? Oh man, I mean that's a really long time. Um, I was uh, 2011 in Afghanistan, hanging out with with buddies in in. Um, in, you know, two by four covered outside areas, you know, smoking cigars and stuff. And, um, and I just kind of had that thought of, you know, would be cool if we had a place like this back in the States where, uh, you know, we could have beers and stuff. Um, so that's when I, as I said earlier, what I, I Googled what a business plan was. And, And so that's 2011. And then, Fast forward to 2014, I'm finally actually getting some entrepreneurial training and then, um, and then getting money and going through all the process of, of, you know, be formalizing the, the, the corporation. And 2017, I finally opened the doors. So six years. Well, you're getting started, so to speak, right? Yeah. Six years till I, I said, well, my bank account empties. I might, I might as well open the doors and see if I can do some business. Um, we talked about this before. Talk about the process of picking your building, like because we live in the sure. South Seattle area. There's Dupont, Piala, Tacoma, sure. different areas. You know how hard or easy was it that to get a location? Oh man, it was so hard. Um, I was committed to the idea that that FOB would be as close to the front gates as I could possibly be. Um, so then um, I had to start looking for a place that kind of fit that that value that I set for myself, but was also somewhere I felt people would actually want to go. Because there's some there's some shady areas that are a little closer to the front gates. Like and, most army bases. Right. So um and a real I don't remember who said it, but somebody said to me when I was looking at a a, a particular location, they said, well uh, that's a cool place. I'd go there and have a couple beers, but I, I wouldn't take my wife there on date night. And and to me I'm like, okay, now I need to refocus because so I had to start looking and um, I really had um, something in my head that was wildly different. And then when I found the location that I did, it was, you know, uh, about a mile from two different gates of, of post um, a lot of, you know, traffic in the mornings and afternoons from, from soldiers and a highly um, veteran and, and military populated community of DuPont and everything just, to check the blocks of, of what should have made sense and, and ultimately where I chose to go. Now, when most people think of breweries or like tap rooms or, you know, drinking beer, they think of no single man, you know, sure. Wild nice, but you, you actually have a family oriented operation, right? That's, that's been really difficult. Um, we, what, yes, we try to focus on, on not just being 
a you know place for single guys. So we t- we try to encourage uh, uh, you know women, whether they be veterans or not, um, because as I said, we're uh, in a community that's almost seventy percent veteran or military. Well, their spouses are all there as well. So it's you know fobs for them too. It's not just for their husband and wives that are currently serving. Um, so we were, and then um, it has been a struggle dealing with the the family friendly aspect. Um, and I think that's because we're such a, as we said earlier, a safe space for people that don't need safe spaces is um, a lot of our, initially a lot of customers just kind of let the kids run, run wild. Cause they feel, I think they ultimately, again, it was a compliment because they felt this is a place their children could be safe, but from a business standpoint, we had to kind of nip that in the bud. And, and so, but long-term we are focused on how do we, how do we change our tap room someday to really be welcoming and, and comfortable and safe for, for all ages. But yeah, we do, we do want to have games. And, and one of our favorite things is seeing that, you know, husband, wife, you know, mother and father sitting there with, with their children, having a couple beers, uh, maybe one of our food trucks is outside and they're having a, a burger or some pizza and, and you know, playing Jenga or whatever it was with the kids that we, we love that. It's the best feeling in the world to see that. Another thing I like about what you're doing, like most breweries, like you go to drink beer maybe watch TV, sure. you might have some food, but you, I, I like to say you do a lot of experimentation and see what sticks, right? Like you've done comedy nights, sure. uh, open mic nights. Yep. Um, what else? Uh, you beer and yoga. Yeah. The food trucks. Can you talk about that process? Just trying to experiment and see what sticks and see what help diversify your business. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had some, some successes and some, uh, failures. Um, um, so really it just, you know, came, came from necessity of like, Hey, we need to, some of these nights aren't as good as we had hoped they were. How do we maximize this or, you know, revenue in times where, um, you know, businesses down or whatever. And um, I think the first time we did comedy was just strictly of like, Hey, it'd be fun to do a comedy night. And um, I uh, actually heard a news story about some veteran, some comedian who's, who's a veteran. And um, I actually sent them an email right away and said, Hey, what would it cost to get this guy at Bob? And it was just an obscene number. So I thought, okay, well, there's no way I'm paying that. So are there any veteran comedians in my area? Um, and I found one, found uh, Josh Firestein, who's uh, a, a veteran army ranger and a comedian. He traveling the country and just absolutely hilarious. And so he put together a show of all uh, veteran comedians and um, it was an absolutely great night. And then since then, we've just kind of kept, kept those going and those are really fun and good. Then, um, that, so that'd be in the success column. Um, one of our, uh, not so, you know, one of our, I won't call it a failure, but we quit doing it was like open mic. Um, it was an awesome, awesome people playing awesome music. And I think it was people just, a lot of people in our specific customer base didn't like coming in and and seeing somebody they weren't familiar with or. And so it just wasn't a fit for us, but, um, but yeah, we're, you know, we do, um, when, when we're not in, in a pandemic, we're doing beer and yoga once a month, which is awesome. You just get all these you know, people from very experienced people to, to 
first timers coming out, doing yoga, then hanging out for a, an hour afterwards, having a beer or two and a cider. So. And so you also were able to get, to get like a relatively big name country star too, right? Uh, sure. Aaron Crawford. He's, he's been, he's been, been there a few times. And just, how, how do you get him initially? Um, man, that, that's a good question. That's probably better for my wife. Um, she's the one that's been responsible for most of these acts, but, um, um, Oh, I think that actually came from a mutual friend of ours that, uh, uh, owns boss mama's food truck, boss, uh, boss mama's kitchen, which is awesome. Some of the best burgers I've ever had. So, um, so she was familiar with them and, and kind of put us in touch and did a show with them. And it, that was absolute blast. Absolutely filled the house. So what kind of new like program do you have coming up that you think about doing? Man, right now there's nothing new on my horizon right now is uh, we're in full on survival mode. Um, you know, what, how do we, how do we, you know, not spend money unnecessarily right now and, and, and still provide our customers with our product and um, keep people aware that we are, you know, still their, their home away from home when, uh, when all this is over. So. So um, talk about some of the challenges of COVID-19, like how has that affected you? I mean, yeah, it's, it's been rough. Um, I mean, we're, you know, we've got a couple of black eyes right now. It's been really tough. Um, initially our, our response was just taking the, just um, let's, let's not try to keep up with a lot of the really big breweries that are, um, you know, able to can up, you know, hundreds of barrels of beer, um, so we just kind of took a knee and said, let's see what's going to happen and, and, um, and then reopen. And we did. And, and for us, it worked out pretty well. Um, the second round of shutdowns is kind of, we're in the, kind of the same mode right now of, um, you know, let's, let's focus on having a good product, um, and make improvements while we can, while, while we're reducing the number of hours we're doing business. Um, but yeah, it's been, uh, not being able to, to do like our private events, which we, that was a big part of our revenues is doing uh, military hail and farewells or retirement ceremonies or promotion parties. Um, that was a big uh, part of our income that just because of the uh, social distancing guidelines uh, in this state, we just absolutely can't do those right now. Yeah. Um and I'm pretty sure like, even though we can do business, you still got to pay the lease, your building, pay for supplies, yeah. pay salaries, like the cost of business doesn't go away. Right. Right. So, um, we are able to kind of reduce labor costs. Um, um, we've kind of been strategic in that is in that, um, none of the people that work for me really are, are relying hundred percent on me. It's usually a, a side job for them in addition to what they, they do normally. Um, so, cause I'd feel horrible right now if I had to cut somebody's salary that was out relying. I mean, right now my wife and I are the other ones that depend on the company, but, um, um, we're able to reduce that as well. And so, um, you know, just having a focus on, you know, working, trying to reach out to all the utility companies and, you know, the landlord and, and renegotiate things. And it, it's been good that most, that almost everybody's been really understanding that, Hey, this is something beyond anybody's control right now. So, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. 
you've been a good point. I think a lot of people when they start a company and start hiring people, they don't realize not only hiring that person, but you basically hiring the family, right? Because the whole family sure. is depending on that person's salary, right? I don't yeah. think a lot of people get that. Oh yeah, yeah. I and um, that that was a tough lesson for me. I didn't I didn't realize that up right away. Um, when I opened the doors, I hired a few employees and. I think it was, you know, about two weeks later, it was like, uh, I got to pay these employees, which of course I'm going to do, but this might've been a bad, bad choice because, uh, you know, the business is never as, as awesome right out the gate as you, as you put on your business plan. So, um, but you know, that was a, a tough learning lesson, but I'm glad I learned it. So is there anything you would have done differently with your so-called like your, uh, uh COVID-19 reaction plan, anything you would have done differently? That's that's a tough question. Um, I don't think there is um, because you know, like any any uh, any other options that I could have done would have required, uh, you know, spending a lot of money to to keep up. Where I I think the benefit of just uh, stepping taking a you know half a step back probably was the smarter choice for me right now. Yes. Yeah. So for the future business, like how much longer can you, can you deal with this with the COVID-19? Like post COVID-19 lasts two years. Are you, are you gone out of business six months? Is there a time frame you want? Like, Hey, I gotta, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know, um, you know, that we're, that's something we're assessing every day. You know, some, some, some days we wake up with this, you know, kind of defeated feeling and we're thinking, you know, I guess today's the day we're just going to pull the plug and then, uh, you know, pray about it. And, um, you know, talk and talk and talk about it and kind of look at that, at our situation. And then the next day we wake up and feel like, okay, I've, I got this. I can you know, keep going. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, if it is, you know, another six months of this, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we would survive that, but um, if it's a couple, then maybe we can, you know, get everybody to work with us and we'll be fine. But, uh, but long-term, I think we're going to see the shakeout of a lot of small, you know, mom and pop type type businesses, whether they be restaurants, bars, uh, you know, little corner grocery stores and stuff are going to really be hit. I mean, who would ever thought, like, I would never thought this, like who would have thought like restaurants and like small businesses going out of business, like they shake their economy, right? Now I can see like, you know, like there's like an oil industry shakeups and like yeah. well, who would have thought restaurants and, you know, small pop, like would right. have this impact on the economy. Right. Right. And, and um, you know, some, a lot of these, uh, small restaurants and breweries, what people don't realize is, is mm, sometimes they are seeing a bump in, in, uh, in regular business. However, the, uh, the increase of costs in order to keep a safe and, and clean and, and uh, effective uh, operation during all these restrictions is, is so prohibitive that, 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 when you when you do add it up, it's a, taking a net loss. So um, they just won't continue to do it. And for restaurants, the challenge. I think actually, I actually saw you post this. I could be wrong, but like you have these restaurants. Suppose it's like a nice restaurant. You go there, family of four is like hundred twenty dollars. You know, then you get like a twenty thirty dollar tip. Whatever the case may be, six so hundred fifty dollars. Family of four, nice experience, you know. But now they will either like pick the stuff on the curb in a carton box. It's still paid the same amount of money, right? I mean, right. from the consumer, it doesn't make any sense, right? But from the business, it's like what else? What what else? I mean, what right. else do we have? Right? right, right. And and 
I don't know how long it will last. Uh, my instinct is that we're in a time where people are supporting their favorite businesses, supporting their favorite breweries, supporting uh, their favorite bars in certain cases. Um, because they love that company and they love the people behind it. Um, but yeah, eventually long-term people are going to get tired of, of, you know, paying, uh, you know, fine dining prices for, for a t- McDonald's takeout for, for, I mean, I, I won't call it McDonald's cause they're still creating world-class parts and food, but you still got to go home, plate it, um, you know, serve it on your own. You're, you're back at home. Um, you know, you could, so I don't, I don't think that'll sustain itself very long, but I mean, I could be wrong. Do you still have your, I think it's called the FOB funding program. I think it was called where you like taking investments and ads and stuff like that. Or, um, so we have a couple things. Um, yearly we do like a, um, a, a Fobbit club, which is just kind of a pint yeah, club. That's it, that's and then, we've, then we've got the founders club, which is, um, a, like a lifetime membership where, um, um, yeah, and that's still going on, right? Uh, we'll open it up again at the beginning of the year. Um, and then, um, then we have an opportunity for like, uh, we call it a part, uh, corporate partnership program where if a local business wants to, uh, buy one of those memberships, then, um, we kind of let them promote themselves when, uh, during like happy hour, um, every day. So like if somebody wants to, you know, pr- to advertise ABC corporation by coming uh, into FOB and during their, their happy hour each day for a week, we allow them to do that. And again, it was just all came from, um, you know, one, how do we uh, pay for our expansion? And two, how do we support the companies that, that are, are just like me around me? How do I, uh, you know, help them grow? How do they, how do I help them get in, front of the customer they want, which is, you know, the FOB. So talk about, about, about the founder program. Like what's the process for that? What's the requirements? Uh, the founders program is, uh, uh, we charge $500. It's a lifetime membership. Um, you, you get a, a shirt and uh, you get a 20 ounce beer instead of a 16 ounce beer. Uh, you get um, discounts on stuff. And uh, really, um, the goal behind that was that we were going to build a kitchen with the funds we received from that. But COVID-19 has kind of eaten into that, but I'm Band, still, yeah. I'm still bound to determine that, you know, one way or another, I'm going to make it happen. But yeah. So here's a question for you. So the economy is kind of bad right now. And there's all these programs have like small business, all right. The, whatever case may be. So I think there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is like, you know, that giving these companies money and helping them out is actually a bad thing because these businesses should go out of business. Because you know the strong survive, Darwinism. Sure. And by doing that, you're you're actually hurting the companies that would survive in this. What's your thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, uh, if you asked me before I owned a business, I probably would have completely agreed with that. Um, but we're we're in a in a in this time where you see a lot of the companies that took out like the uh, paycheck protection plan loans. We're multi-million, billion-dollar companies, so it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, this was supposed to be for us little guys to. Remember, like, what? Steak and Shake got one. Yeah, the Los Angeles Lakers got one. Like, how did the Lakers get a check? Like, right, right. So, are you, kidding, are you kidding me right now? Right. So, I certainly can understand the sentiment of you know, hey, if something's going to die, let it die. Uh, something healthy will take its place. Um, 
However, if if that's the case, then I want to see a true fair, a fair situation where you know nobody gets bailed out. Um, but if we're gonna if we're gonna help anybody, let's help the small guys first. Because after all, I mean, small small businesses and uh, small restaurants and bars in particular uh, are by far the largest employer in this state and many states across the country. So um, I think it's worth. Safe. Now, before you talk about your partners, don't you have a deal with, I think, the, the Seattle um, Sounders or something like that? Or some kind of some affiliation with them? Um, so there's the uh, Armed Services Group is a wing of the Emerald City Supporters, a big uh, fan uh, club for the Seattle Sounders. Um, so they, we are their official, the, the, the Armed Services Group, we are their official uh, watch party location. So they all show up and they're, and they're jerseys and and their scarves and stuff and and we make sure we got the sounders on for them so how do you obtain the greenies for a beer like so what, what are the greens in beer first of all like hops greens what, what goes into making a beer so traditionally traditionally uh a beer is made with you know four ingredients you know water malt hops and yeast and um so you know the um these days we're adding a little extra things like maybe some sugar to, to provide a drier uh, finished beer, uh, maybe some fruit if it's that style of beer. But pretty much those are the like 98% of the beers I'm making are, are those four simple ingredients. Does a type of water matter? Can you like tap water has to be like special kind of water? Um, certain water is better for, for, for certain beers. Um, we're, we've got some pretty good water here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I, the only thing I really have to do to my water is remove the chlorine from the water. Um, but, but, and I'm able to make some good tasting beers on and in almost the whole spectrum without really tweaking my water too much. Sometimes I do just because I'm a um, perfectionist and I really want, um, certain water profiles to, to, to highlight certain ingredients, whether it be an IPA or a big heavy stout then but for the most part i just take our good clean water filter out the the chlorine and i'm good to go but um then how do you get the agreement like do you have like a i don't know a relationship with a certain farmer and deal with one farmer was like is it like some kind of co-op where this sells greens of beer people like how does that work Eh, i wish it was like that no i'm just for the most part um um calling up one of the, the either the Local, local, um, uh, uh up in uh, Skagit Valley or through one of the, the distributors getting, you know, grain from them. But, uh, uh, but hops, I try to get from the, the major growers in Yakima Valley. So I'm guessing you have to walk <laughs> by, right? I do a little bit of both. Um, so some I'm buying large amounts in bulk. Um, I'm on the very small, end of the spectrum. Um, some of the bigger breweries are contracting out their hops years in advance. Um, I'm not quite comfortable with predicting what, how much hops I need two years from now. Um, so I, 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 I buy my hops on what's called on spot, meaning I buy them essentially, uh, as I need them instead of planning out a year in advance. And so when you buy, are you in person, you buy it or is it like over the phone computer? Uh, just over the, over the phone or, or, inter, or either I'm either placing uh, an order 
online or calling up uh, one of the growers and talking so about stuff. By doing that, well, how do you ensure it's the quality that you want? Like, how do you ensure the quality is top notch? Or is this, you bought it from them before, it's always top notch and you got to presume it's top notch now. Right. So these, these are the, the industry leading uh, growers. I mean, Yakima provides like 70% of the hops grown in the whole world. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't thought Kansas or somewhere in Germany. Uh, right. I mean, in Germany, especially when you see the you know thousands of acres of, of hops, but it just pales in comparison to what's in the Yakima Valley and um, the absolute uh, yield they're able to to produce there is is amazing. So, uh, so I the with the growers I'm usually buying from, I know I'm getting the best in the world and and fairly consistent. So when you buy like your ingredients, is there like a shelf life for them, or you just buy them and store them somewhere and they're good forever, or you have to use them a certain amount of time? Um, I mean, I try to use everything as fresh as possible. Um, I mean, there's been some experiments out there with with keeping grain around and you know hops around. Uh, and everything matters in how you store it because as soon as you open hops, they start deteriorating. Um, so uh, how you keep them matters and but I always try to keep everything as fresh as possible because I feel like you're going to taste it. So. so I think you do a great job of naming your beers, different like military type names. How do you come up with these names and give a couple of examples? Uh, well, our, our, probably our, our flagship beer is M4 um, American blonde. Um, so, uh, you know, an, uh, a blonde, it's, it's kind of the beer for everybody. It's, you know, when you don't want something that's too, too, hoppy or malty you want something that's just kind of a simple uh beer for a you know hot day or average day or whatever um so i named it after the you know the biggest tool in the army you know the 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 m4 carbine so that's our our rifle and and everybody who's who's served in any branch of the military they see that name they they first their thought is the rifle so um so they so I, that's the one that is just identifiable. And, and to me, um, all my names kind of come from that, that place of when you hear it, what do you think? Um, you know, I don't want to be too ob- obscure or, or, you know, like, uh, like another one of our best sellers is our Amber Ale. It's snafu, you know, situation normal, all effed up. And um, it's just one of those terms that we we throw around a lot in the military, and people kind of know what it means. And um, so it just kind of again fit with our. And then like my my um, my flagship IPA is our our Little Bird IPA, and not being a spe- special operations guy, I always look at the Little Bird helicopters and think, oh man, those those that's cool. You know those those whoever's riding on that thing is is really a badass. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind of an homage to them. I, that's why I made my IPA that, but Jared, how does, uh, what is, how, what determines alcohol content in beer or alcohol in general? Yeah, it's, it's math. Um, so I, when I, when I take those grains and convert them to, um, convert the starches into sugar, uh, in the, in the kettles, um, then I'm able to, take a measurement of, of just how much sugar is, is in that solution. And so it's the sugar that determines it. Right. And so then, then so that, so that at the beginning of the, the, the 
fermentation process, I have the potential for how much alcohol that, that, uh, that what we call wort that eventually becomes after, after it ferments, it becomes beer. Um, I have the potential for how much alcohol could be made from that solution. And then, um, after the yeast eats it, then I take a, another reading of, of that, uh, of the, the sugar content of that liquid and, and the difference of that gives me an equation that just tells me the percentage of alcohol by volume it is. Is there a limit by law as how, how high the alcohol content can be? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I've pushed it a few times, I'm sure, but uh, I think we had a, somebody brought me a bottle of uh, 50% alcohol beer the other day. That was absolutely disgusting, but I'm glad I tried it. Uh, thanks Jess. Um, and, um, so yeah, I haven't gotten that strong yet, but, um, but, um, yeah, typically through normal fermentation practices, it's tough to get over the, you know, the 18% or whatever, but, but I've gotten to 17 so far. So you already talked about this a lot already, but can you go to more detail about the fob? Can you go to more detail about your company? Like how it came about your vision for it? Yeah. Challenges and stuff like that. So, um, really, as I said before, sitting around with, with buddies in Afghanistan and kind of wishing there was a place back home, kind of felt like that. Um, I was really, the idea got you know, reinforced in my head when I walk into an Applebee's with my wife and kids and, you know, you see the local fire department's got their, their firefighter coat on the wall. and. Uh, the T-ball teams on the wall, um, and and that's cool. And I, but it just kind of stuck out to me of like, well, why does this exist for our, our military? You know, we're we're right by, you know, two major, you know, an army installation and uh, air force base. Why why isn't there a place when you walk in that doesn't isn't celebrating them the same way we celebrate our our local? Uh, you know, high school football team. And I, I felt like, well, you know, if, if nobody else is going to do it, then I am. And I know before COVID hit, your vision was like, have like a fob by each military base. Yeah. How are you doing now? Have some kind of barbecue restaurant. Can you talk about your vision for that? Yeah. So the, the vision really has, is that, um, you know, what goes good with beer and it's barbecue. And um, I have some, I'm going to keep those, some of my ideas a little close to the vest, but, um, yeah, if, um, the idea is that if we can have, uh, a, a fob just like it would be in war at every major military installation, um, somewhere, wherever you go, you feel like, Hey, this is a place, you know, for me and, or, you know, but you know, I, I want to have some little variations because, you know, if you're in, uh, Fort Bragg, if, you know, things are different than when you're at Fort Lewis. So uh, I, w- I want to have some things consistent across the board and some other regional variations as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in the process now of, of determining, okay, what do I do next? Um, how do I navigate a pandemic with, you know, the business plan and, and, and visions for the future? How do I implement these, these ideas in a way that are cost effective? Um, and still are representative of, of what, you know, I believe the vision is. So, you know, we're, so we're constantly kind of tweaking that and how that will look when it, 
finally comes if it, if it comes. So Jared, I think you've done a great job. You and your wife have done a great job on social media, like post, post stuff out, you know, about your company. Talk about the process of that, like learning social media, utilizing it correctly, and all, all that kind of stuff. Oh man. Um, like everything else, my wife and I just, just did it. Um, we naturally kind of, uh, I was, I'm the Instagram person. Um, she's the Facebook person. Um, she, you know, we just together had to learn like, Hey, what, and, uh, going back to the, the, what's the business plan? You know, when, when we started this thing, what are hashtags? You know, do we have to use them? I remember learning that. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and even that's a learning curve of, 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 do I want to use the same ones all the time? Do I want to use them? You know, how do I want to implement I don't want to use five of them or, or 20 of them. Right. Um, and, uh, and who am I going to market to? Who am I going to try to capture? Um, that's just, everything's been a, a big, you know, one lesson after another of, of um, we, we kind of changed everything to be more of what's going to get somebody in my doors because I don't, I, I think it's cool. I'm honored. I love that somebody in Nebraska is liking my posts. They're not flying from Lincoln, Nebraska. To they're have not, a beer with they're you. not having a beer at, at, you know, in DuPont, Washington. So, um, so yeah, you have to look, look at it and say, where are my efforts going? Where are they paying off? Um, um, you know, these are things that, you know, major corporations are, are paying to have somebody analyze this stuff or we, we don't have that option. So we're just like, okay, how do we, you know, what, what you're, you're just looking at, at some of your, your, the, the free tools that, that, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, will, will, give you for free to say, okay, what was effective? What wasn't effective? Okay. Well, that's, that's not working. Let's, let's switch to something over there, but also still trying to be true with who we feel Bob is. So how do you plan your day? Cause you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, for your case, you know, you got to make beer, you got to do sales, marketing, you know, you have a family, wife, you know, you have, you have a life you size, you know, making business. Do you just wake up every day and just wing it and, and uh, whatever comes mind you do, or you actually have a plan that you do. Or is it a combination of both? Like most people. Uh, I'd, my, my wife will come unglued if I say anything other than, uh, it's a combination of both. Um, and she's the end of the spectrum that is planned. She's got a schedule of what she's doing daily. I am winging it like, like it drives her absolutely crazy. So we balance each other out. Good, good. So let's talk about this. We talked about this before in the past. Like when you have, you're a business owner, you're gonna you expect the people close to you or, or friends like to support you. Like it's like minimal things. Like and, like for me, I have times where I ask someone who I know is really good, "Can you follow me on Instagram? Can you follow me on Facebook? Can you do sure. whatever?" Right? And a month later, you say, "Hey, how's it? How you how you like this? Oh, I haven't followed you yet." You think like, "Are you kidding me?" Right? I didn't ask you for a million dollars. I just simply click a button on the computer. Like, yeah. And you're like, and then people don't know like fully support you. Right? Talk about the challenges of that, the frustration of that. Yeah, it's uh. It's funny. Um, I mean, you see it from, again, I always try to, I try to assume people are coming from a good place, but, um, and I don't, and when, when, when it's something is negative, I, I don't want to assume too much of why they are, you know, like you see a lot of the memes of like, you know, like, you know, be careful who you call your friends, you know, some, a lot of people are, you know, hoping for you to, to fail, but, um, 
but you do see a lot of that where you're like, man, that's, that's funny. Um, and it gets me too. Like, you know, you're supposed to give, give, you know, add value. Well, at times like you ask people for stuff, do stuff for you. And it's after you've done stuff like four or five times. Right. Sure. And they tell you, no, I don't do it. And then they come back for more stuff. Like, okay. Like I believe in value given, but man, okay. What's yeah. the limit to this? Yeah. Yeah. It can be super. Dis- I try to, I try to take everything with a grain of salt and try to not, um, look at, at, at people too judgingly for it because we never know what people are going through. However, there's been times where like I sent out a, uh, a, a, a survey and these are people too. Most of them I was, I remember you telling me this. Most of them I, I, I like, I would say uh, most of these people I was somehow blood related to. And I think I got like a 10%, uh, uh, you know, response back to this. And it was literally all you had to do was like vote on like a few different items that sounded good to you or didn't. And, um, and, so I was venting to some other entrepreneur and they go, Oh wow. 10%. That's a great, that's a great return. And I'm like, wow. Like really? Oh, like I, I literally like know these people. Like I could call them and, um, you know, go to their house and I got 10% engagement. That's, uh, you know, that is, so it's a kick in the gut, but, um, again, you try to be folk, uh, more thankful for those 10% than you are angry about the rest. Yeah. Oh, example, like someone opened a t-shirt shop, they're selling a t-shirt for $10 a piece and their friends are from, Hey, you know, give me a t-shirt for free or sure. give me one for a dollar. Sure. And then the next day they'll go buy a, buy a $250 t-shirt from like a name brand. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You see that a lot. Um, and, and, and those are the blessings I've, I've just had that, that blow me away. Um, when somebody I consider a friend, but, um, you know, not a best friend, but somebody I, I've known for through elementary school all, all the way through high school, is wearing my t-shirts on, I see them posting on social media, wearing one of my t-shirts. It just blows me away. Like, wow. You know, you never, you never know who's really in your corner and, and, and it feels so good when you see somebody who's, who's yeah, I'm the same it. way. Like with someone like post, hey, I listen to your podcast. Like what people listen to my podcast. It still yeah. blows me away. Right. What do you, okay. I'm still not used to that. Right. Yeah. And you never know. Um, uh, there's been, there's been times where somebody, it's just a lurker. And then uh, out of nowhere, you, you sit down and, or you're, they're sitting across from you and you're having a conversation and they know everything you've, you've been doing and they, they pay attention. It's just that, you know, a lot of people consume things in different ways. And so I try to just, once I put it out in the world, I try to not look, look back at it anymore and think that, well, if, if I'm being me, somebody's going to, you know, see that and consume that in the right way. So that's another good point. What's the importance of being transparent as a small business owner? I know, I know small, some business owners, they're like, they're not on social media, they keep themselves. What's talk about the parts of being out there, so to speak, and, and letting people know your personality, your values? I mean, it's, it's key. Um, I've learned that people will like you before they like your product, before they like your beer, and, and, and that affects or I mean, whatever your product is, I should say, uh, whatever your business is there, if, if, if you are being honest, uh, and, and real with them, uh, it, it goes a long way and people appreciate it. Um, even somebody who's maybe just an occasional customer or, or, um, maybe they're not your customer, but like in, in your case, doing HR stuff, if whenever they, they come across somebody who might be having those, some of those needs, you're going to be the first person out of their mouth because you're genuine and, and, and honest and clear. Um, so 
that goes a long way. So you can't just be, uh, you can't put the brand on like a uniform. You know, it's just if, if you're showing people that you actually are what you say you are, then eventually it'll catch up. So talk about something that from the time you started this journey to now that you did not, either you did not expect this or it it came out a different way. Besides COVID. Yeah. Besides COVID. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I won't name any, any one thing, but there's just been so many little lessons that, that, um, you know, eventually you're like, you're thinking, Oh, well, that was a thousand dollars I wasted. Um, you know, but, um, like me, whenever I go to my like my like my, my QuickBooks accounting, like I spend money on what? Like right. I waste money on this. What like what, yeah. what's I thinking? Like how stupid could I been? Right. Right. At the time, oh, I need this right now to like, increase the business, do whatever the idea. Then you do it. Like I just wasted money. Sure, sure. I'll give you an example from from well, again when I'm still applying to uh, the entrepreneurship program. I'm still in Afghanistan. I paid an architect to do a rendering of what I would like Bob to look like. Now you're like, oh my goodness, what was I doing? No, I still love that drawing, but there's no way. I mean, you don't, you don't, you like the, I mean, you don't like the money you paid though. No, I don't like the money I paid for it. And there's, and we absolutely didn't use it because I, I couldn't, but, um, but however, that little bit, uh, it was, it was motivation for me. It inspired me. It, it kept me moving forward. Um, so ultimately, totally wasted money, but gained probably some momentum that, that helped me get you know, going and open. Good. Um, so what, how long were you in the military? I, I did eight years. And you were like um, counterintelligence, right? Yeah, correct. Counterintelligence. So you had to wear civilian clothes every day? Uh, the first four years was uniform. Excuse me. The first four years was in uniform doing uh, what we call... Um, uh, Tactical CI, tactical uh, human intelligence as well. Um, then the next four years was all um, more strategic and uh, yeah, wearing. So, what is counterintelligence? What did what did you actually do without you know telling us like top secret? Yeah, sure. Um, counterintelligence really is is um, just about detecting insider threats. Um, how are people trying to steal our information or? Is anybody, whether purposely or, or, or inadvertently, uh, revealing classified information, you know, to people who shouldn't have access to that? Um, so that that's what I did was, you know, either investigate or did, you know, learn to counter those threats. So one thing that was my pet peeve in the military, like you, you were overseas, like the Korea, Germany, where the kids be on AFN, the ad would be, you know. No loose lips, ships. Loose lips sink ships. Yeah. Don't tell people anything. Next time, Russell, go out in the community and make friends with everyone. Right? right. Like, like, which one do you want me to do? Right. 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 Um, well, you know, it's always that um, you can always be proud of of what you, who you are, and what you do. But they don't need to know when you're doing it, and you know who you're doing it with, and what your equipment is. But uh, so you know that, that a big a big part of my my duty was always just informing. Uh, you know, new arrivals to, uh, you know, what, what those threats were, who was actively trying to get that information and how to, yeah, enjoy your life. But, you know, divulge a lot of these things that. And where were you stationed in Germany? I was in Bamberg, Germany. Okay. Um, so we we're a, a smaller post. Uh, um, I was in a little, 
an office of you know military intelligence personnel than um but primarily serving 173rd Airborne. So, well, you and they would do a lot of traveling and visiting, like the tourist stuff. Where you were there, uh, so, say again. We able to like do a lot of traveling Absolutely. and tourist stuff. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, sometimes I I uh, feel a little bit guilty that I've seen you know more of Europe than I have my own home country. But uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, you get a three day weekend all the time, and you, you're able to jump in the car and you know, go to, uh, I think it's the farthest we, we drove was from, we went to Budapest, uh, Hungary. We went, we drove to, uh, all the way to, uh, London. We, one time it was a long story we won't go into, but we wound up driving from Rota, Spain, all the way back to, uh, uh, Germany. That's a drive. So yeah, we want to go up through Spain, up through France, over into Germany, and then all the way back down to our house. I'm guessing so, that's more than a three day weekend for that one. It was. That was a long, long, long story. But but uh, but again, it was um, very difficult at time. But me and my wife and kids are so grateful we had those opportunities. I, I, I was in Wiesbaden when I was married, and one time I think one of my kids had I had to do some kind of report on Anne Frank. I'm like, let's drive to Anne Frank Museum in Amsterdam. It's like a few hours away. Let's go. And yep. we just went there, did a tour to Anne Frank. It's like, it's experiences, you know? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, same. My, my, um, my daughter Chanel wanted to do her 13th birthday, wanted to go to Anne Frank's house. So we got in the car and we went. Yeah. I think so many Americans, you know, they're like, I have friends to this day, haven't left the hometown, you know, right, right. All the ne- the, to them, travel is like going to the next town over, you know, and yeah. so people miss out, you know? I mean, there's people in Germany that did the same thing that, that complained that there was no Walmart or Target and completely missed out on the fact that they were, you know, miles away from castles and and history and just something they'll never see again. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, what has being in the military helped you with being an entrepreneur? Kind of the the general attitude that it can always be worse. And, um, you know, that, you know, at least nobody's shooting at me and, you know, there's no one's going to die if I make a bad decision uh, today. Um, but just overall, just the general attitude of, of, I can, I can do it. I can overcome it. Um, and, and, and telling me that I can't is probably going to just inspire me to, to prove you wrong. Yeah. I think the military does a good job of, you know, you get knocked down 10 times, you're going to get up to 11th, knock down 20 and get up to 21st. Yeah. I think they do a good job, like putting resilience in you, so to Absolutely. speak, you know, Absolutely. and a lot of, you know, non-military options don't have that. I don't think, you know, they'll yeah. give after four or five months and, you know. Yeah. And, um, and just knowing that, that you're not done working if the mission's not completed and, um, you know, you can't just, so having, a focus and a, and a drive to complete a mission is something we just, when, once you've started doing that in the real, in a, in a real, real uh, especially in a combat environment, you, you're never going to lose that mentality of, of, you know, I still got work to do. I can still work harder and find a way to, to get this, even if I have to change things a little bit, but we still have a mission to do. And ultimately that mission is the business. So let's say there's a person out there, they want to start a business. It doesn't matter what the business is. What advice do you have for them? Um, the first thing I would, I would say is, you know, start, uh, being a good customer of those, of similar type of businesses, um, learn from them, um, 
ask questions. Um, um, You're right. So many people like I'm going to start um, a t-shirt business. I don't need advice from a t-shirt guy. I, I, I'm doing it differently. I'm going to do it better. Right? right. At least go to them and learn from the mistakes. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, one of the, the biggest things that I was not able to, to do and i and I wish I had, um, and, and it just was because I was, I was working, uh, uh in between, uh, the army and, and opening the business. I you know had a job and so I had to work. Um, but so many business leaders that I've met have said to me, they're like, go volunteer, go get a part-time job at a similar business. And, um, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't financially afford to do that, but um, that was the one thing that I still see as as uh, a hole in my experience that I, I wish I had been able to do that. So yeah, you know, go if you ha- like, you can always work on your business. And, you know, there's 24 hours in a day. You can work on your business plan before work, after work. Um, you know, be learning and researching on your on your breaks and before you go to bed at night. But uh, go go work for. Somebody doing what, what you think it is you want to do. And because, uh, like I learned when I was 20 years old, I, you know, I thought I wanted to, uh, you know, work in a professional restaurant kitchen. And after about one day in a restaurant kitchen, I thought it was in for me. Like this is hard at work right here. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so that, that's what I would say is, you know, first dive in with making sure you really understand the business. Like, I, um, sometimes people think, um, like in my situation, people see they come into FOB and they think, "Oh, this must be great." And you know, I want to open a brewery someday. And it's like, well, all the behind the scenes stuff, no one well, sees. Yeah, you, you know, don't, you don't see all the eighteen-hour days. Um, so you know, and sore backs. Uh, so you got to make sure you really know what you're getting into. So speaking of eighteen-hour days. What do you tell people, those people that are like, you know, well, I want to start a business. I want to get a degree. I want to do something different, but I have a nine to five job and I can't do anything else. If you want it, you will. Um, I don't accept can'ts because there's just so, uh, we waste so much time. Somebody will tell you, um, you know, they, they, they don't have time to do a lot of uh, self-improvement stuff, but then they'll uh, have watched every game on Sunday, you know? Um, it's like, well, you, you, did nothing to improve yourself, but or or improve your knowledge, or or even know your own situation with your business. But you spent eight hours watching football games. You know, like yeah, yeah I've said this before. Like 168 hours a week minus 40 minus 40 of sleep. That's still 88 hours left. Like, and then we'll say we take out 25 for social stuff, right? Family stuff. That's still like over 50 hours. You know, like yeah. now it might be from like 8 p.m. to midnight. You know, and you got to give up watching TV or whatever case may be. Or yeah, and 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 there's just no excuses anymore with with podcasts, with YouTube, YouTube all the free I mean, online courses. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can learn a lot, but it's up to you to just you know get it. That's a good point. Your daughter's supposed to come in today and, and yeah. talk. Yeah. So talk about her book and how that came about. Yeah. So um, she's eleven. And she wrote a, she, uh, last year she wrote a book and it just really started as a summer, summer project, um, where my wife and her, they read together all the time. They have their, uh, quiet time where they, they sit down and, um, read together at the end of each night. And, you know, they're each reading their own things, but my daughter's a voracious reader. And, um, 
my wife kind of looked at her and said, you know, like, you know, you could write your, your own book if you wanted to. And her eyes kind of lit up. And so they, they made it their project last summer to write a book. And um, so she wrote strong, bold, and courageous uh, words of wisdom from a fifth grader. And so it's her just kind of going through the alphabet of things that she wishes people knew and how they should treat each other. I know you and your wife would be so proud when, you, when she did that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'd kind of heard what they were doing and what they were up to, and I thought it was cute. And then when I sat down to kind of read some of the first draft, I was just absolutely blown away. Like this, this little girl's got some, some pretty strong things on her mind. Um, now, is she going to do a follow-up book? We don't know. Um, initially, it was, you know, in, in her mind was, you know, so much work to get it done. Uh, that she, you know, she doesn't want to look at a computer for a while, but uh, I think now that, you know, it's been a year, she's kind of, the idea is growing under that meal. Maybe she'll do it again. And y'all put, y'all did the book on Amazon, right? Amazon publishing. Yes. Um, I was sitting with her having lunch yesterday and, uh, we were, we were talking about, um, um, some of the questions you had for her and she she blew me away. She said, you know, sometimes I think that, you know, since, you know, parents raise these kids, maybe it'd be better if they knew these lessons, you know, that's a pretty damn good point. <laughs> and so I go, yeah, I guess she was like, maybe the next book should be written towards parents, but how am I going to get parents to listen to 11 year old? I said, I don't know, but I like the so way you just, think. Yeah, I like the way she thinks. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have a great daughter. I like the way she does a lot of great things. Yeah. So what's, what's the craziest beer either you made yourself or you drink? Like craziest style, flavor, or whatever the case may be? Ooh. Um, man, I don't know. Um, let's, I mean, we've, I had, I've had, I, I, I'll, I'll say that. Um, my buddy Jeff that uh, now owns uh, Sig Brewing in Tacoma, um, uh, his previous employer, um, before he opened their own place, um, I went in to buy some, uh, I was getting some hops from him and he, he handed me a couple beers to take as I was leaving. And one of them was an oyster stout. I just thought, dude, I've heard of it. I've seen them before. Um, it sounds, I, I mean, to me, I, that sounds disgusting. I, I don't like oysters. I don't, yeah, I love like, oysters. That I'm sounds like, disgusting. Like, I don't want this anywhere near me. And, but I like Jeff. I, I trust his, especially when it comes to beer. I kind of, I really trust him. So, so I tried it and was absolutely blown away. I just thought, wow, it gives this none of the, no fishiness at all. It was just kind of a, a tastes like a little bit of the ocean, the salty, briny uh, counterpoint to a really well-made stout just blew me away that I was like, wow, never would have thought that. So I'll go with that. Okay. Derek, can you share your social media for yourself and your company so people can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our websites, yeah, uh, bobbrewingcompany.com. Uh, we try to keep that up to date with everything that's going on. Or uh, we have on Facebook, it's Forward Operating Base uh, Brewing. Um, then uh, Bob Brewing on Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, but my, my Twitter presence is so small, it's kind of embarrassing. But it's mostly just the random random musings of a, a, a board business owner. So, yeah. so another good question in the past, you know, people would have like 
here's my personal life, here's my business life. Nowadays, like everything is like just life, right? There's no really, there's really like no curtains between business and personal, right? How does how does that fit been for you? It's tough, um, you know, because while yeah, me and 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 my wife Jennifer are you know pretty much fob brewing. Um, when we're at home, you know, so we got to turn it off, and um, I'm not very good at that because I'm always thinking of of something of, or maybe there's, like I said, like I, I always have that feeling of me, am I wasting time? So I'm always, usually it's her saying, put your phone down, just, you know, relax, watch the movie. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we have our own, uh, you know, personal values and time that we do that we try to, you know, try to let, we try to give people glimpses into, you know, who we are as people so that they were always being, honest and, and transparent with who we are uh, with all, also trying to just, sometimes you just want your private life to be private. So, so talking about the points of taking breaks, right? I think one time, maybe a year or maybe two years ago, you and your family just out of the blue went to, I think, Leverworth. Like, like, sure. like I'm going to Leverworth. Yeah. You know, the business is, is going to do what the business is going to do. I'm going to yeah. trust my people. I, we're yeah. going to take a break. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Um, um, you know, handing those keys over and just saying, you know, you, it'll be what it is. And, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, but when you get good people in there, you know, that even if they don't do things the way I did it, even if they don't do handle a problem the way I would handle it, um, they're going to handle it and they're human. And, and I wouldn't have them there if I didn't, you know, at least trust them to make a call for, even if it's not the call I want them to make that they did it for, the same values and reasons we have. So it's gonna, everything's going to be fine. So another great point. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like they only want to hire people to do something that hundred percent like they do. Right. And I realized like you hundred percent really isn't that great anyway. Right. Right. So even though you hire or bring someone who does 8% of your, like you do it, their 80% is might even be better than yours. Right. Sure. A lot of people don't think, don't get that. I don't think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, one of my employees uh, just got back from deployment and, um, uh, he was deployed with National Guard and um, just got back a few weeks ago. And uh, yesterday was his first day back at actual work. And uh, when I stopped in on my way, uh, stopped into the brewery this morning on the way up, I just looked at it and was like, this guy did more work in probably five or six hours than I would have done in a couple of days. Um, because I'm just all over the place trying to focus on 18 different things at once that um, really not an efficient employee of my own, but uh, when you see that, it kind of, you know, blows your mind of like, okay, I got somebody right in the right position, the right person in the right position. So. so you bring up another great point. Sure. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, like I know myself, you have all these things going on 10, 20 things. Yeah. And you're going back and forth, but then you've done 20 things, like 10% of the time, you've never focused on anything. Sure. How do you focus on what's important that day? How do you even decide what's important that day and focus on that? I don't know how to explain it that that really be valuable to other people. For me, I'm just always looking at um, you know you know writing my list of you know what's a must get done, um, you know what's something that what can wait and if you know and um, trying to tackle that list and and do one thing at a time as good as I can. But yes, and and if I could say here for our listeners, we wouldn't have the links to. Um his uh, his t-shirts, his social media, yeah. also Meadows book, so you can buy a book. <laughs> I mean, it's a great book. You should, you should read it. You, you and I got a lot, of, got a lot of stuff out of it. Thank you. 
Uh, so the links are in the show notes and the show notes at www.cabinetaceblog.com. And be, there, be sure to share it, this, uh, this podcast. So, Jed, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you give us any wisdom or advice on anything you want to talk about? A lot of people think, oh, I've got a great idea for a business. Um, but they've never really done what I call that, you know, personal inventory of who they are. Meaning looking at, I mean, look at, look at all the giftings you've had. I, you know, I know um, because my faith, I believe, you know, that we are given certain gifts. And if we're using those in ways that, that, you know, are counter to, to the things we've been naturally good at, meaning, you know, what have you, what have you voluntarily put in, you know, a lot of time to with knowing you're never going to get paid for it? What are you, what are you, what are you constantly focusing on? What's always on your heart? And if, if your business isn't one of those things, then it's probably not a good business for you. Because if you're going into it just because you think it'd be a good business instead of something you're truly passionate about, and you got to be careful when you say, follow your passion, because we can all follow our passion, but might not make any business sense to do that. Yeah. If your passion is to play basketball every day, you're probably not going to make a lot of money playing basketball every day. Sure. Sure. Hey, Jared, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. Don't you know? Pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know? Pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know? Pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know?